Welcome back to another thrilling episode of the Wild Edible World podcast. We've got a special one for you today. I'm Mike, one of your hosts. And it's me, Steve. We've got a little bit of a treat for you. we got a gentleman that goes by the name Montana Mike, uh, my good buddy, Michael Agadney of Montana Yellowstone Tours. Uh, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us, man. Hey, thanks, Michael, Steve. Appreciate you uh, inviting me on the show. Yeah, we're happy that you're in town to spend this time with us. When are you, when are you going back to Montana? Got another week. Have another week to enjoy the flatlands and then back to Montana. Right on. Well, uh, we hope that you get your, uh, your fill of the prairie <laughs> while you're here. Um, we wanted to ask you a couple questions a little bit about, like, uh, where, where you grew up here with, because uh, you, you and Steve have known each other for a long time, right? Yeah, I spent most of my adult life in Illinois. Yeah. Here with Steve around Joliet Plainfield and the southwest suburbs of Chicago. Cool. And were you involved in like uh, natural education while you were here, or I was involved in fishing, hunting, uh, and foraging here with Steve. Wow, awesome. Um, so you you moved to Montana. You said like five years ago, right? Five years. What what brought you out there? The wild places. Awesome. Yeah, that's we're all about the wild places, aren't we? Absolutely, that's our fa- that's our favorite thing. <laughs> yeah, me too. So out in Montana, you're uh, so you have a, a nature guiding business. What's it called? Uh, yes, my business is called Montana Yellowstone, and we do wildlife tours inside Yellowstone. That's really awesome. Uh, yeah, like the Yellowstone, right? The Yellowstone. The Yellowstone. There's Yellowstone, like Lake up in Wisconsin. Like there's a couple other like wannabe Yellowstones, but this is the most intact temperate ecosystem in the world, Yellowstone. Oh, wow. So, uh, you, uh, Mike, Mike, Mike and I have been hanging out this whole weekend, and there was uh, one like little tidbit that you dropped on us um, about the percentage of Yellowstone that is in Montana. Uh, oh. why, why don't you hit me with that really quick? Just I want, I want to tie that into something. Yeah, most of Yellowstone is in Wyoming. Only 3% of it is in Montana. So is it safe to say that you're the only Montana Mike? Montana Yellowstone Mike, uh, anyway. No, it wouldn't even be safe to call me Montana Mike because I'm from Illinois. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Well, Fair enough. <laughs> you're, 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 you know, you're getting your foothold in uh, Montana for sure. You're making your mark, right? Yeah. Um, I-, I thought that you, was so wait, cool. Hold on. Well, you're wearing a hoodie that says Montana Mike. Right. And if there's anything that you don't want to do in Yellowstone is leave a mark, so. Well, okay. All right. Yeah. Respect. Leave no trace. And we, we try to not even step on anything. Yeah. Facts. I respect that. I'm a, we're a little bit more reckless out here in the, um, you know. The flatlands, as you say. Yeah. As you say. Yeah. Yellowstone's the place that we all decided to just let it be. So. Right on. Even for hunting, fishing, and foraging yeah. inside Yellowstone, we just observe and leave what we find for the animals. Mm-hmm. Strictly forbidden, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, got to respect that, at least as a society, we've chosen one place where it's like, yes, this is sacred. Wow. Wow. One thing can be sacred. It's <laughs> exactly, exactly what Yellowstone is. Yeah. Great. I think that's so fucking cool. And I think it's cool that, uh, that the majority of the park is in you know, other states and that you are in like the 3%, that little little nug that pops through Montana uh, at the northern gates. And I, I just think, I think it's awesome. I, we, we were wasting good content before this interview started, and I was saying that if I had to like invent a place for my friend Mike, uh, 
of Montana Yellowstone tours. Um, I would have, I would have invented Montana, like a mountainous region where you can just like eat half sandwiches to your to your to your delight and uh, and just be out in nature. Rocks throwing so. rocks, yeah, you could throw things in any direction and not worry about injuring a person. Um, but yeah, it, it's Montana, man. I mean, it's it's perfect for you. Um, even just like the uh, just the way of life out there, I think, fits you very well. Um, so, what? Tell us about your tours, I guess. What what sort of things do you do as of as of right now? Yeah, sure. Most folks enjoy to see as much as they can in a day or two. So, a wildlife tour, which is mostly road based, is what you'll find is most popular out of Gardner, Montana. But there are other opportunities. Yeah, plug your pals. Let's hear it. Because Yellowstone has more than half of the world's geysers. Oh, oh yeah. And some of the most unique geology in the world. So there's geyser tours, wildlife tours, and my favorite, which would be getting out on foot and doing hiking or running. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Um, so part of, part of like what our show is about is about foraging and uh, food and you know the tying that into like getting out in nature and, and trying to commune with nature and be one and things like that what like our relationship started with food your your and I and uh, and so Montana is so Chicago is like the mecca of delicious things in my opinion mm, personally yep, yep. Um, and then you you leave this mecca in Montana so what sort of delicious things do you you find out in Montana or, or things that you can you can say are tie into the whole food thing yeah what you'll find is in most demand is the wild huckleberry and mm. you can find that all across the north and Canada and a lot of the western United States huckleberries is like a native blueberry species mm -hmm. um, and then there are opportunities for huckleberries and wild strawberries and all kinds of things. Rose hips blew last year. You know, that's what the bears are eating mostly at the sure. end of the year. Um, there's food all over the place in Yellowstone if you know where to look. And outside the boundaries, you know, you can forage. So you can sure. go uh, beyond the technical boundaries of Yellowstone and forage for mushrooms, or wild choke cherries, huckleberries, wild strawberries everywhere. What's what's probably your favorite thing that you uh, gathered this year? My favorite thing that I gathered this year, probably morels in the spring. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. Okay. Very cool. That's a nice, comfortable trophy. So what, how much did you gather, do you think? Like, you get a nice little treasure trove? Yeah, or? two or three two or three pounds for the banks of the Yellowstone River. Oh, yeah. That's so cool, man. Those are probably extra delicious, too. Yeah. I feel like everything that you find in Montana, so we have trout here, but the trout in Montana are like, fuck, man, they blow your mind. Um, so I feel like those morels are probably extra delicious, too. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, so uh, let's go back to um, like what, uh, what your wildlife tour is. <laughs> so uh, you said it's mostly road-based, so it's kind of like... Uh, like a Yellowstone safari, or is that a little disrespectful? It is a Yellowstone safari. Okay. Uh, but you're driving point to point and then getting out and observing wildlife. So the challenge oh. for the day is to find grizzly bears and wolves. And do you come across those often? Is that a likelihood? Absolutely. Okay, cool. There are times in the summer where, speaking of food, the grizzly bears want to be high 
Turning rocks, eating moths, and they're too far to find. See, so turning rocks, eating moths? Yeah. Moths. Yeah. Significant of food source for bears. The biggest part of our tours is knowing where the animals are foraging and sure. following them around through the seasons so that we can observe them. Wow. And there are points in the summer where the grizzly bears are too high. They're hard to find. And yes, they're feeding on army cutworm moths, eating thousands of them a day. That's What type of moth? Army cutworm. Army cutworm. Yeah. Wow. That's so fucking cool. I've never heard of that. You, you wouldn't think it, but they can get thousands of calories a day from yeah. that. They, they get from moths. Sure. That makes, that makes total sense. Yeah, like whales and, and, and the small things. And yeah. I, believe, I believe they're also referred to as millers. So if you find yourself east of the Rocky Mountains, the weather blows those moths around and you find them in vast concentrations. Wow. That's so that's oh, really man. interesting. <laughs> um, and for, as far as wolves, I know that there's been a lot of work reintroducing wolf populations, right? And um, is there... I, I'm not really familiar with, like, is there, like, a basically intentional lack of management? Because um, there's no hunting or management like that in Yellowstone? Yeah, you're right. If there is um, an issue with an animal that was caused by humans, for example, by an accident on the road, humans might intervene. Um, sure. But um, everything that happens in Yellowstone, including forest fires, uh, they manage by letting it go unless okay. they need to intervene to save structure or life. Um, so yeah, they let nature take its course in Yellowstone. Wow. And so you would say that the wolf populations have increased, right? Like as we're kind of seeing elsewhere where they're intentionally restoring populations. But Yeah, that's a great question. And uh, there's, there's a lot more going on there uh, than I can share in this segment. But sure. I will say that a book was just released by Rick McIntyre, um, which... What's wrong, buddy? Well, I, I just got this new water bottle, but it just looks so plain. Well, have I got the store for you. Introducing the Wild Edible World Podcast Merch Store. Wowie wow! It's the merch store where you can get all of your favorite podcasts merch for all your decorating purposes. How do I find that? Go to wildedibleworldpod.shopify.com or go to any of our Instagram and media accounts and view the link in the bio. Wowie wow! Have you have you read through this one yet? Yes, I have. Because this is—it sounds—it sounds super fascinating, man. I mean, I feel like every time you come into town, uh, we have that conversation of uh, 
of where, where the wolf population is, and I know there's been a little bit of controversy as far as hunting and whatnot. Yeah. Um, so it's it's always something I'm concerned about because I just feel like uh, I mean if you if you listen to the story of the wolf reintroduction into Yellowstone and the effect it had on the population and the positive effects it had on on even so much as like uh, erosion, you know, like it's it's just it's such an just an amazing thing, and it's it's you know when you when you set when you let nature kind of govern itself as opposed to try to do it yourself, it's going to do it the right way, you know. Um, it, it might not look exactly the same as we would like it to look, but it's uh, it's the right way no matter what. So um, this book sounds fucking awesome. Yeah, you you're absolutely correct, Steve. Um, wolves actually change the physical landscape mm-hmm. of Yellowstone. And Rick in Rick McIntyre's book, um, an alpha female book, uh, Rick's observations show that the female of the wolf pack is the leader of the family. Sure as is in the rest of the mammal species. So I would encourage anybody to uh, dig into uh, wolf observations from Rick McIntyre um, and any of his, his wonderful books to learn more about the wolf. But you're right, there's been hunting and plenty of conflicts in the area that have made managing uh, wolves challenging in Yellowstone. Well, and I feel like that, um, you know, the more uh, observation or the, the more eyes we can get on works like the alpha female, is really important because it's been, I think, long understood that there was a huge misconception and misinterpretation over the alpha male whole thing, you know, and like, you know, there, there's a whole, you know, male toxicity complex developed from this misunderstanding. So, um, yeah, re kind of introducing these wolf hierarchies and the, you know, modern observations we have of it, not just the same old stuff that everybody repeats. That's really important. Thank you for that suggestion. It sounds like you've been reading a little bit about wolves because that's exactly it. Yeah. And it's uh, looking like the most successful wolf leaders, like people, aren't the most aggressive ones, mm-hmm. which is what Alpha suggests. It's often most empathetic, just like the most successful people. Wow. That's, yeah, that's really awesome. That, that fills my heart, man. That feels good to hear that. So cool. Um, beyond that, let's talk a little bit more about like some of the. Uh, you said your favorite thing you foraged this year was morels. Let's I would say morels, and then also uh, wild huckleberries okay. yeah. and choke cherries. And actually, uh, you know, if you do come across cherry. a berry in Yellowstone, you know, you can try it. Yeah. But you're not taking a handful, or you're not sure. taking something that other wise would be used. But but you can taste so. Uh, finding some perfectly fresh huckleberries on uh, a hike around Grand Prismatic, probably my my close second favorite moment. Wow, that's, that's awesome. That's yeah. certainly a highlight. And I, you know, that's a, that's an interesting note too because you know a lot of people think that the like no collecting rule is like absolute, and it's like you're not allowed to touch anything. Nature's a museum if it's a forest preserve, and it's like, well, you know, you can walk around you can nibble on a berry like you yeah. can eat stuff it's fine you're not supposed to be walking out of there with you know a whole rucksack full of a bunch of uprooted plants you know that is what that those rules are trying to prevent is just kind of the uh really low percentage of consumers that are going to end up abusing the resources um just because human nature is kind of like we got to get what we can while we got it because we've I feel like been starving for most of human uh, development. Really, They're like this is the most comfortable, most well-fed we've ever been, and now we're not even looking for stuff outside. Um, and that's just like 
you know, a whole relationship in and of itself. Of itself. But um, I love, I've never had fresh huckleberries. I've had huckleberry wine. I've had, uh, you know, stuff made from huckleberries, but mm. like a fresh huckleberry is. I haven't either. Sounds awesome. It's out, like of this, blueberries. it's out of this world, but what gives it the taste and makes it exciting is that you went out and you found it for yourself. Exactly. So it's, we you love know, that and when I'm, it, funny, you guys would like to hear this when I'm out foraging in Yellowstone, sometimes I'm listening to your podcast. Hey. <laughs> uh, if, if, if you guys can get uh, excited and inspired about foraging in, in Illinois, it m- makes me feel extra lucky and special to be doing it in Montana. Yeah. Awesome. So I hear, I hear you out there. I hear you. Cool. That's, uh, my heart is filling even further. Just, just because this has just been worming around in my mind for the last few minutes as we've been talking about huckleberries and uh, responsible harvesting and things like that, and this might be a little bit of a controversial question. It's not really something that we've uh, approached on the podcast before yet. But in your opinion, like uh, you're you're a so you're a hunter, you're a fisherman, you're a forager, you're a hiker, you're a guide, you're all you're all these things, a man of many talents. What is your opinion on like uh, on fishing and and things like that? Obviously outside of the park, but like um, is that something that could that be considered like responsible stewardship? To like take a couple trout from the river, or is it is it is it hurting like a population of this or a population? Yeah. Of that? Like like what's your just your general opinion on that? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um, I guess the thing to keep in mind is that for years we have been managing streams and waterways. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and indigenous people before us. Yeah. So um, you know, every question about what you should or shouldn't harvest is specific to the waterway that you are on. Um, because it's being managed for you know for a purpose. You know, in Yellowstone, um, the goal is to keep it native. So anything non-native is encouraged mm-hmm. to take out if you should come across it. Mm-hmm. Um, so knowing what the fish populations are in a given waterway, and making your decision based on uh, the regulations uh, set forth, and just your own uh, you know personal. Um, uh, feelings um, on whether or not you should or shouldn't harvest. Um, and DNRs um, have all that information online. So um, just take their directions because they're managing it for, for a purpose and just know before you go. And I, yeah. think, I, I think we ran into that a little bit ice fishing where uh, it was like, you know, one brook trout was, was the limit per day. Yeah. But there were some that they were like, go nuts, bro. They're invasive. You know, like if you find them. Yeah, and you really have to take some time to look in what those rules are. But, I mean, there, there's people working hard to uh, manage those things for our, you know. And there like, were even yeah. some, if you caught them, you have to report them to the DNR. Yeah. Like, hey, we found this species in this lake. Uh, you know, that's up around. Yeah, and outside of Yellowstone, there wouldn't be fisheries, uh, fishing opportunities like there are if they weren't intensively managed. Sure. Um, so, so, so the reason those opportunities exist in Montana, even as wild as Montana scene, it's because fish and game are doing such a great job putting, you know, managing those fish populations for us. Yeah, that's I think uh, kind of an oversight. A lot of naturally minded people um, they kind of look out, look past is the idea that um, these hunting licensing organizations and, uh, like I said, fish and game DNR. A lot of these places are. Um, you know, funding the restoration, funding the uh, conservation, and also 
the ones that do all this research and make the data sets available to us easily to just, you know, to also inform ourselves and be more mindful about where we harvest, what we harvest, and making sure that we have a little bit of a focus on, a, on invasive species. So it's, you know, it's definitely a team effort. Um. But that's awesome. I mean, it's great to hear your opinion on that, just yeah, because there's, there's things in this, in, in, even in our foraging, even in, in our neighborhoods here that Michael and I do, that we you know, have to keep in mind, like ramps are, are uh, in some areas, like on the, you know, on the East Coast and whatnot, they're not as plentiful as they are here. So um, just being mindful that we don't end up in a situation like that yeah. um, from over foraging, over uh, harvesting, uh, it's, it's cool. So I just wanted to get your opinion as far as fish. Yeah, it's not intuitive that we manage um, our species manages everything else, yeah. um, but um, even in the most wild places in the lower 48, uh, we are. Um, so where you might harvest an elk in one state, you might that elk might be protected in, in, a, sure. in another state. You, mm -hmm. you got to know. Yeah, exactly. It's not a easy answer for anything. It's about you know being mindful whenever you're harvesting, no matter what animal or fish or plant. Um, yeah, the mindfulness is most important because, yeah, there's all sorts of rules and there's societal rules about ramps, you know. Yeah. There's, there's so much crap we get here in Chicago. There's a lot of stigma. People, <laughs> uh, so much stigma about collecting ramps. And the fact is, we're swimming in ramps here. Yeah. We're swimming in them. Of course, yeah, we, there's, there's, there needs to be uh, specific attention and conservation um, and care towards eastern coast and their uh, ramp populations, which are troubled. You know, I'm not denying that at all, but yeah, it is about taking into mind your local populations and finding the information and also having the, you know, taking the time and patience and observing it as well. You know, that's, that's a huge part, in my opinion, of foraging is just the long-term observation over years, watching these Plants come and go. I never stop looking. Even in the winter, I'm looking at all the dead standing plants and um, trying to think about like what will be there in the spring. And um, you know, can I, can I still eat that can now? I still eat it now. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. You never turn it off. Yeah. You know, there's another um, interesting part of um, observing plants in Yellowstone. They have designated areas where you have a fence. And that restricts bison and the elk from grazing on That's those cool. parts of land. So, sure. you know, on tours, um, you know, you can actually observe the difference in physical landscapes between areas bison and elk and all the other arguments can get to mm -hmm. and can't. Yeah, just look in the fence, and that's what it looks like without bison. What what does that look like? Just curious. Like, it's incredible yeah. how much uh, impact those animals have just by stepping on. Yeah. Oh all, yeah, all, just all by footprints. Yeah, without even eating, just. I mean, and there's uh, just just a, you, you you never think about that, but there is uh, a lot of of life that probably suffers from that. I mean, and you know, whatever, whatever. It's it's life cycle, but I. I was reading something the other day, I guess, uh, like fireflies um, mm -hmm. spend their first two years without the ability of flight. So they're on the ground, they're in the grass, they're uh, doing their thing down there, and a lot of like the chemicals that are being sprayed on lawns and whatnot kill them. So that's why, I mean, at, at least personally, in my, in my own experience here, I feel like we used to see so many more at night, you know, used to, it used to be, you know, look, 
look like you know like a little like the sky you know like stars yeah stars in the sky but now you don't i feel like you don't see them as much and that's just you know fireflies here in illinois but i imagine in like montana that's got to be fucking fascinating dude there are certain varieties of plant that will stay underground just their root structure maybe sent up a shoot or two for like years and years and years before they even try to flower and like I can, I don't know. It's just, or it's just sitting dormant. Exactly. Because there's so many invasive species just picking up the sunlight. It's yeah. just waiting for a glimpse of light. And then as soon as we do like a clear cut or uh, controlled burning, there's a lot of that practiced here in Illinois. Um, do you guys do controlled burning? I guess not in Yellowstone because you said if there's wildfires, you just kind of let it go, right? Yeah. It, in general, around the area, they have been doing burns um, to prevent the spread of forest fires if they should happen. But technically inside Yellowstone, that's avoided. Right. OK. So, yeah, there's tons of stuff just like laying dormant, waiting for yeah. the opportunity. And it's like, yeah, you said sometimes the shit's just sitting there for 10 years almost. Like they'll, they'll still survive. They're still kind of like going through their own cycles underneath, building up sugars and carbohydrates or whatever to eventually send those shoots up. But yeah, the strife. Um, you know, and the, and the struggle and the, yeah, the conflict between animal and plant, you know, I think that's a fascinating thing to be able to isolate, you know, as even though it's, uh, you kind of, it, Yellowstone's intention is to let everything be, but to at least be able to, you know, just like a couple square feet of isolation to show like, well, this is the biodiversity in just this little area, you know, I think that's a really valuable learning experience. I think that's so cool. I want to see that. Yeah. I've never been to Yellowstone, have you? Yeah. Oh, you have? Yeah, yeah we went for my bachelor party. Um, drove around and walked around a little bit. It's an, and I've been back ice fishing, not in Yellowstone, but uh, the surrounding area of Montana, Wyoming. Which is just as wild as Yellowstone. Heck yeah, man. Uh, yeah, it's, it's awesome. It, if, you, if you've never been, we should definitely go. Yep, 1,000%. I have never been. Um, all right. Well, I think we've had a great conversation. Yeah, I think Mike. this has been awesome. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, man. It's uh, been really great learning about what you do and just a little bit of your perspective on the natural areas that are offered in the complete opposite end of the United States than where we are. So um, we're happy to have you here and safe travels back to Montana. My pleasure. I look forward to seeing you both out there. Yeah. Heck yeah, man. <laughs> so excited.